my heart has already been encouraged being in church tonight, singing and worshiping together, um, and it's just a good spirit in here tonight. I love that song, Same God, and it, what an awesome song it is, and I appreciate that song, Matt, and it is good to see uh, you tonight. We're going to jump right in. I want to just mention the next uh, five Wednesday nights, we're going to be doing uh, this series, Family Matters. We're we'll going to be looking at a couple different things. I'm going to start out just kind of find foundationally with roles, uh, relationships, and rewards, and really just set the foundation regarding what the Bible says and what our culture says. Then after the first two weeks, we're going to get very practical. Um, Robert Stetcher um, is going to be here, which is Elizabeth's father, and uh, just a great man, pastored for uh, over 25 years, and the uh, Lord used him in Lenore to build a great ministry. He's a great family. He's going to talk about having a vision for the future of your family. Then Pastor Josh Cox is going to be here. You're not going to want to miss that. He's going to be talking about one that we can all use. I'll actually won't be here that night, but I'll listen later on conflict resolution, okay? And uh, how many of you have ever had conflict in your family? Is there anybody ever struggled with that? Y'all are way better than us, okay? Um, so, I mean, I want to. you need to be here for that one for sure. Just what does the Bible say about that? And then Pastor Harold Blankenship is going to close us out the last week. Um, if you've been at follow for a long time, you've met him and know him. He's done our marriage retreats and things like that before, uh, but him and he pastored for years and years in Gastonia and now is on staff at Laurel Baptist Church. Both of his sons and daughter are in the ministry. I think we should stop and probably listen to a guy like that, um, maybe, you know, in, in ch child raising, probably a good guy to listen to. So he's going to be here that last week, um, so make plans to be here. We're living in some interesting times, and so I was praying about what direction we would go these uh, for, for this month and next month. Uh, next month we'll be looking at just a, a couple weeks on stewarding life, and I'll be teaching all those weeks out of Proverbs. But really was praying and seeking the Lord on what I felt um, as a church um, and really as what would be helpful for us in the world that we live in right now. And couldn't get away from this idea that family matters. Um, and it does matter, doesn't it? It's a big deal. Our families, our relationships within our families. Um, we are living in just, it's nuts what's going on concerning gender roles, marriage, and parenting in the world. And all of this plays into the family. If you don't understand that, you're going to see that tonight as we begin to talk. Um, we're living in days where uh, literally the divorce rate has declined, believe it or not. The reason being is because not as many people are getting married. Um, more people are staying single longer, less people are getting married. Um, a few years ago, most of your studies would have said, even within the church, that divorce rates are 50 to 60% um, on a first marriage and 60 to 67% on a second marriage. So those that are married first, if you do get married, which unfortunately, uh, we're even within the church, we're ignoring God's plan for marriage and we end up cohabitating, never getting married. It just seems that easier. That's what our culture is doing now. If you have younger friends that are younger adults, that's just the thing to do anymore. Um, so it's changed that just a little bit, okay? So some things have definitely changed in our world in the last few years when it comes to marriage and when it comes to the family. People are absolutely waiting later to get married. There was a time um, in our culture in the United States where people, man, you found that one you loved while you were dating. Man, you get married at a young age. I even remember, especially in our Christian culture, uh, Sarah and I, uh, we were married very young. We were married at 19 and 21. Um, I, I don't know what the average age anymore is to get married, but it's much later than that now. If, and this is the big point, if people even decide that they're going to make that commitment for life, okay? So co cohabitation is many times the norm even within the, the, the Christian circles and within the church. Um, with the LGBT movement, the fad, or what I believe it is, the religion 
um, it, man, that's really changed some things as well. Um, you didn't used to hear about that. Now in our world, in our culture, it's front and center. And I want you to think with me here, both in the media realm, the social realm, the political realm, and the educational realm. Now stay with me. This, we're going somewhere. This is all foundational. We have to really dig into this of where we're at in our culture right now to understand what God wants for us. In our culture, there seems to be a push, and think with me here, that anything goes, no matter what biology says, common sense says, preservation of life says, think with me here. This is, what they're te- this is, what, this is what's being pushed. You can be anything you want, anywhere you want, anyhow you want. Boy, girl, animal, whatever you feel like being, you, you can be. And here's where we're at right now. The state of the family, the state of marriage, the state of the culture is this. We have a major identity crisis. We have a major identity crisis. Some school systems are even pushing for kids to be able to make major life and biological changes and decisions without their parents' consent. Okay. We've got to be aware of this. Marriage has already been defined in our culture. It already has. And they've already changed the meaning of what that word means. All of us know someone or will know someone that has been affected by these changes. Politically, in the name of acceptance, craziness is infiltrating our society. You're a bigot if you do not agree. You are transphobe if you have a problem with allowing minors to be part of drag shows. You are, you, you are not allowing kids to be who they are if you allow science and biology to determine who they are. That's messed up. Okay, We're living in some messed up times. So here's the question. This we're going to answer tonight. As followers of Jesus, what do we do with this? Whether you've been affected by it or not, our families are being affected by a couple things. They're being affected by divorce and relationships that aren't good. We have parent-children relationships, even within the churches, that aren't good. Let's not even go out to the crazy stuff. Man, we've got some work to do, don't we? Would you all agree? We must understand foundationally from the beginning what the Bible teaches, okay? What is truth, okay? We have to decide and we have to determine in our heads what type of view are we going to have towards these things. We, listen, where we stand on issues concerning the family, concerning gender, concerning marriage, listen, for our families, our marriages, and our kids, listen, this is going to really play out how we function in the future, how society goes. For the future of the next generation, we must have an understanding of what God's Word says concerning these issues. Okay? God is very clear in Scripture when it comes to roles of men, women, and children. So this is what we're going to do. Tonight, we're just going to look at creation. We're going to look at what God's intended. Next week, you may not want to be here because we're going to look at what does the Bible really say about the role of a man? What does the Bible say about the role of women? Which I'm just telling you, it's not going to be, you're not going to like it. And what does God say? What does Scripture say? Not Jake. What does Scripture say about the roles of children? But tonight we're going to set the framework and the groundwork because there are, there are two. So in, in life and in the believer's life and Christian life, there are gray areas. Okay? There are some things that aren't clear cut. Okay, Romans 14 speaks much of that. 1 Corinthians speaks of that. There are gray areas. What we're talking about tonight is not a gray area. It is clear-cut 
in Scripture. And how we view what we're going to talk about tonight, we're either looking at one or two lenses. We're looking through what the culture says, the cultural lens, or we're looking through the scriptural lens, okay? So we're going to compare these two lenses. We're going to look at families. We're going to look at gender. We're going to look at man and wife, husband and wife, and marriage through both of these lenses and kind of see, hey, what what really works? What was God's intention? What does this look like for us? So what is the difference between how the culture sees family, marriage, and genders, and what the Scripture, and biblically, what are the differences? So let's start out, first of all, with the cultural. What does the world say? It's a good question, isn't it? What does the world say? So gender roles definition, when it comes to the world, would be this. It's based on social and psychological rather than biological. Does everybody track with me on that? So instead of saying, okay, is, do we have kids in the room? Just little babies. Okay, so we can go here. And Because and, this, this is the kind of stuff we've got to decide. Instead of saying, okay, bi- biologically this is a male because of certain body parts. Biologically this is a female because of how God created and God intended Whatever is socially acceptable, whatever we feel like being, determines what I am. Does everybody see what I'm saying? That is, that is how gender role works. That's how a person in our culture is being taught that they can decide who they are. Now, think with me here. This is completely based on one word, feeling. It's not based on science. It's not based on biology. It is based on feeling. Then the next step is this, gender expression. How we choose to express our gender in public. So because I feel this way, this is how I'm going to express my gender in public. And then gender identity, our personal sense, not based on biology, not based on science, but based on feeling of what I think I am. And then gender presentation, how the world understands and sees we are by how we dress, how we carry ourselves, etc. So uh, think with me, this is what the culture says. The world says you can be whoever you want to be, regardless of how you were born, regardless of what your biological makeup is. If you're not happy being a boy, you can be a girl. If you're not happy being a girl, you can be a boy based on feeling. Okay, marriage. The world says this. Marriage is whatever you want it to be. Doesn't matter what biology says, doesn't matter what tradition says. If you feel like be, if you don't feel like being married, what does culture say? Get what? Get divorced. If you don't feel like being married to a man, marry what? A woman. If you don't want to be married to a woman, be married to a man. Culturally, at this point in our world, this is where we're at. Whatever you feel like goes. Whatever you feel like goes. There is no consideration for the future. There is no consideration for where this type of position in the present ends you up in the future, physically, psychologically, socially, and spiritually. So here's the simple definition of what culture says. Whatever you feel, be, do, and act on it. Okay? So... Biblically, so we see what culturally says. Biblically, what does God say? Man, what, where are we supposed to be when it comes to these things? For followers of Christ concerning roles in family, guess where we are, we're supposed to go? Do we go to feelings? I'll, hear, I'll have somebody like in the hallway want to tell me something, and they'll say these words, I feel. And what I want to say at that moment, 
Stop. Because the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's, de- it's wicked, and who can know it? it? You know, understand, feeling and facts do not always line up. Does everybody agree with that? Just because I feel something does not mean it's true. So when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, we don't base our beliefs, we don't base, everybody right up here, we don't base our decisions, we don't base what we believe on what we think or what we feel. Our final authority, if you're a follower of Jesus, is the word of what? It's the word of God, okay? If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to follow Jesus, if if that's your worldview, our final authority is the word of God. So feelings don't matter, culture doesn't matter, what matters at the end of the day? God's Word, what the Bible says, what God says. So for us as followers of Christ concerning roles and family, we must go to the Scriptures, not our feelings. So I want you to turn to me, what a greater place to start than Genesis chapter number 1. Turn to Genesis chapter number 1 with me, if you have your Bibles. What does God say about all this? Genesis chapter number 1, and stay with me tonight. I know we're, we're going to be very deliberate, and we're going to go straight through this text, and we're going to talk tonight. So Genesis chapter number 1, look at verse number 27. Genesis 1, verse number 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male And female created he them. Notice this in verse number 28. So he creates male, he creates female, and God blessed them, and God said unto them. And I want you to notice these words, because this is important, foundationally for the family. Be fruitful, and what are the next two words in the King James? And multiply, and notice this next phrase, and, or this next clause, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So just in these two verses, there's a lot there concerning this, okay? This first chapter in the Bible addresses what we are talking about. The first thing it says, and this is foundationally for us as believers. This is what separates us, okay? God created. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning, God created. Here in verse number 27, what are the first couple words? So God created. So what did he create? Here he created man in his image. He created two genders. What are they in the text? Male and what? Female. Male and female. And he says, so I created male and female in my image to be fruitful and to multiply, to replenish, and to what? And to have dominion. So right off the bat, how many genders did God create? He created two genders, male and female. This is both biblically true and biologically true, okay? It's biblically true and it's biologically true. Let me just say this. God does not make mistakes. For the believer to believe that they are something that they're not is to say that, God, I don't trust you and you made a mistake when you created me. Now, I understand there may be some psychological things that lead a person down a certain road. Or there may be something in someone's past that makes them feel a certain way. But listen, God makes no mistakes. If God made you a boy, guess what you is? Use a boy. If God made you a girl, you are a 
girl. Ye either male or female. This is not based on feeling. It is based on science. It is based on, biological, bio, on biology. And it is based on, here's the most important one for us as believers, how God has made you. At creation, God created two genders. Okay, So what did he say for these two genders to do? He says they are to be fruitful, to multiply, and to replenish the earth. So think with me here. Without two genders, man and woman, male and female, there is no multiplication and there is no replenishment. I don't care how you slice it. I don't care what Apple says on their uh, little emojis. Men that, are bio, that were born men, and this is sad that we even have to talk about this in our, in our world. And it's not a joke because there's people that are trying to shove this stuff down people's throats. Men cannot get pregnant, okay? They can't. It is impossible, okay? It takes a male and a female to multiply and to replenish the earth. Turn to Genesis chapter number 2. Look at verse number 7. Foundational as we go into this. Because if we don't have this right, listen, we're, gonna, we're not going to have marriage right. We're not going to have raising our family right. We've got to understand God's original intention, His original intent, what He says about this. Look at Genesis 2, verse number 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and He breathed into His nostrils the bread of life, breath of life, and what happens? Man became a living soul. Wouldn't that have been awesome to be there to see this? I mean, I wish I could be. I mean, I, I hope in heaven when we get there and in eternity that you can, like, rent a DVD of this stuff, okay? I want to see this stuff happening, right? I want to see God taking Adam's rib, as we're going to see here in a second, and created a woman. You know how there was electricity in the Bible? God took Adam's rib and made the first loudspeaker. Somebody help me. Okay, we're going to move on. I'm in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble. It's a terrible joke. Edit that out of the live stream. Somebody help me. I'm in trouble. So, verse number seven, that wasn't funny, I know. I did stop my mother-in-law joke Sunday. God got it convicted me. I didn't finish it Sunday, okay? Genesis 2-7. So, what does he do in Genesis 2-7 here? What happens? Man is created. God takes dirt. He breathes into him. He becomes a living soul. Look at, look at chapter 2. Look at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man, and he put it into the garden of Eden. Notice these words. To dress it and to keep it. So this idea of man being created, and the first thing that God does is he puts him in the garden, and he, he did have work to do. There's people that say work only came from the curse. That is not true, okay? There was work. He is to have dominion. He named animals. He worked, and he dressed, and he kept the garden, okay? So he is given responsibility in work. Look at verse 16. The Lord commanded the man, of every tree of the garden thou must freely eat, Okay, so he's, he's making commands here. He gives him, gives him, he, he, he gives him work, and now he's giving him a command. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest of it, thou shalt surely die. So God says, hey, if you eat of this fruit, you can do whatever you want. But if you eat of this tree, ye shall surely die. So God gives man one instruction and one rule. We know the story. What ends up happening? Rules were made to be broken. Okay, that's from the beginning. What does Adam do? He ends up breaking this rule. We'll see next week that as this rule was broken, who took the bite first? Does anybody know? Guess who ends up being responsible for it? Adam. 
Okay? Even if Eve took it first, Romans says this, as by one man sin entered into the world, talking about Adam. We're going to look at that next week. Dads, we're responsible. Dad, we're accountable. Okay? But here, look, look what it says. So he gives man a rule. Look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. So he says, it's not good for man to be alone with all these animals, you know, in the middle of this garden. And so it almost carries the idea of this. Man needs some sort of companionship. So notice what it says here. I will make him a helpmeet for him. I will make a helper for him. I will give him a companion. Look at verse 23. Okay, so he creates Eve. All right, verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Y'all know how Adam named Eve woman? Have you ever heard this before? He saw her and said, whoa, man. All right. Terrible preacher joke. I know. It's terrible. Terrible. That's two tonight. I'm done. Caitlin, I apologize publicly to making dumb dad jokes in front of you. Um, verse, look at verse 22 again. Or verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woe man. Okay, I'll probably say it every time now. Because she was taken out of a man. Now look at this next part. This is so important. Verse 24. This is foundational for us. Where, Therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. So you have, what two genders do you have? Male and female. Leaving their home. Leaving one relationship before establishing the next. And shall cleave unto his wife. And what has happened to them? They complete each other. They become one flesh. So man leaves his father and mother, male and female, one flesh, male and female. This is God's design. Male and female to replenish and multiply. For us as believers, and y'all may be bored with this tonight, but listen, this is tough. There's people sitting in our church tonight because their church wouldn't have the guts to teach this. And we're saying that there's people in this room tonight because their church was teaching that it doesn't matter. This does matter. This is foundational. Listen, our culture, 10 and 15 years from now, because of what's happening now, if we don't stand up and teach our young people and our kids and our churches, the type of teaching and preaching we're here tonight is going to be foreign in our country. Y'all realize that? We, we've got to have a grip on this. We've got to understand this. God's design is male, female, replenish, and multiply. Number one, if you're taking notes tonight, I want to give you some things. Marriage, and this is what separates us. Marriage is not an institution designed by man. It is designed by God. It wasn't something, when God designed marriage, he didn't go in there and you didn't have a marriage license that you signed. Okay? No, he said, when you come together, listen, you become one flesh. <laughs> it was a heterosexual, monogamous relationship. What that means is, that was man and woman, one for life. That was God's original intention. Look at Mark chapter number 10. Uh, do we have this one filled to throw up on the screen? Mark 10, 6. Look at Mark 10, 6. It's up on the screen for you. If you don't have time to turn there, write it down. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And they, shall, they twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more twain but one flesh. Verse number 9 is very important. If you write in your Bible, you need to underline this. You need to understand this. What therefore God hath joined together. Notice this last phrase. Let no man put asunder. So 
Marriage is whose idea? It's God's idea. Secondly, no man is to change what God has ordained or created. He says this, what God has joined together, let man, no man put asunder. Okay, what does that mean, to put asunder? It simply means this, let no man separate. Once you are brought together, God says this, no man should be separated. Okay, when we're brought together, when we're in flesh, that's God's, that's God's plan. Thirdly, marriage was founded on a heterosexual, monogamous relationship. Male and female, one woman, one man. Now, would everybody see, this was the first one that was under attack in our country. And I believe this, and there's good people sitting in this room that I believe in God's grace. I believe in restoration. There's good people sitting in this room that have been divorced. My mom was divorced. There's great people that have been through that horrific thing. But can I just say this as kindly as I can? I believe part of the downfall of our culture and marriages and in the family is this. We were scared to preach as hard on divorce as we were homosexuality. When the Bible is very clear. Now there are exceptions. It says except for fornication. There are extreme examples that I believe. But I believe this. If you're married and there's not an abusive situation and God has put you together, guess what? There is no man. Listen, what God has created or ordained, listen, it says this. No man can separate. It goes as far, if you study your New Testament, I'm not going to get into all this tonight, to say if you marry someone that's been divorced, you are living in fornication. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you, go study it sometime. It's very heavy and very hard. All right. Marriage was founded on heterosexual monogamous relationship. Fourthly, marriage, and this is an important one, is a leaving and a cleaving, male and female. So would everybody agree that there is a great difference between what Scripture says and what the culture today is saying? Whatever, can we all just start there tonight and say we probably need to go to the Scriptures instead of what television is telling us? Somebody better say amen tonight. I'm going to bring an amen thing here probably hit it for myself. Listen, this is important. Man, we've got to get there. Man, some things we need to remember and decide tonight. And we're going to get very practical. Next week, we're going to look at what does the Bible say. If you're a wife, we're going to look at what does God say that your role is. And just like, just like when it comes to male-female, not being based on feelings, roles aren't based on feelings. It's based on what God's Word says. We either believe the Bible or we don't. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying And when we talk about submission, people get angry. Submission has nothing to do with equality, worth, intellect, and ability, okay? I'll just get that out of here. So maybe a few of you will come back. A few of you ladies will come back. we got to look at the roles. What was God's original intention? Just like like these gender roles and all this can't be based on feeling, it must be based on what the Scripture says, what biology says, what science says. Man, functionality, the, the Bible has some specific specific things that it says about functionality. And part of the reason we're in the stinking mess that we're in, and y'all listen to me, y'all listen to me clear tonight, is because even within the church we've ignored God's plan when it comes to functionality within the family, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to, you go to the average church, I thank God we've got male, strong male leaders in our church, aren't y'all? I'm thankful for that. I've been in a lot of churches when you look around and guess what it is? It's all women. You couldn't have a men's small group that's packed out. Part of the reason is the feminization of the church. You walk, men walk into the average church and they look around and everything's for women. It smells like women. It looks like women. Being honest, remember the churches in the 90s? What did you? What was all over the platform? And then it looks nice. But a dude that walks in there, when he sees that, seriously, a man's man walks in there and sees that, it, you know what it screams? 
Feminization. There's got to be a balance to it. The reason we've lost men is because the church has catered towards women. Seriously. I preach in churches all the time, and guess what the well, guess guess who all the teachers are? And thank God for those women that'll step up when men won't. But I believe there's been a problem, and it's not toxic. And you've heard me say this a lot lately because I'm burdened by this. It's not ta- toxic masculinity. It's toxic passivity. Men, we just don't care. A lot of us don't want to fight. We don't want to stand. It's easier just to say whatever you want. It's easier just to say, do what you want. If you want to go, go. It's not that big a deal. None of this matters. Listen, there was a day, and I'm not trying to be mean, there was a day when men were men. And I believe that's something that if we're going to see revival in our church and other churches, men are going to have to start being men again. Do you know it shouldn't be mama dragging everybody to church? Praise God for those of you, there's ladies sitting here tonight that are praying for their husbands, that they would have the same fire that you have. I've learned this, if we as men, and I, this, is, this isn't in my notes tonight, I'm going to move on here in a second, but if we as men would love Jesus, pray with our families and our wives, be the ones that say, hey, we're going to church and take the lead spiritually, a woman that loves God, she will follow you to the end of the earth. Ask them. Some of us men... That invitation rolls around every once in a while and you were to grab your wife by the hand and come down and pray with her, she might have a heart attack first. We'd have to do CPR and call the ambulance. But can I tell you what she would do? You know what Sarah tells me? We're not, listen, we don't have a perfect marriage. I would never say that. Man, we, she fights just like y'all do. She likes a good fight. I don't, you know, go Sarah. But you know what she'll tell you? She told me this. She tells me this. Some of the sweetest moments we have Aren't when I buy her something and y'all got a kick out of, I know I bought her some food line flowers. Everybody's like, oh, buy a restaurant flower. Listen, for me to think about getting flowers, that was a big deal. Somebody help me. It was a thought that counts. It wasn't the flowers. But you know what she's told me many times, men? What the most special times that we have are? Is when we're down on the altar and I vocally pray out loud and call her and Caitlin's name out to God. That goes against what culture says. Men, let me ask you this. When's the last time your wife's, and I'm not the perfect example of this. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to get you to think a little bit. When's the last time your wife heard you call out her name to God? That's heavy to think about, isn't it? That'll impact them, man. And, you know, that'll, and I'm not saying when you're in the fight and you're like, oh, God. You know, and, and you're, you know, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about just in prayer. You see, some of us, this is why our, why, this is why our, families, and our, our, our families and our homes are a mess. This is why. Even though philosophically we don't have the same worldview as the world, we live like we do. Say, Jake, what do you mean by that? We say we follow God, yet we never push our family towards God. We say we love Jesus, however, we never lead in that way. We say we believe the gospel, yet we never share. We say we believe in prayer, yet we don't have a family altar. We say we want our kids to grow up and to be separated and to live pure lives, yet we let anything goes within our homes. You see what I'm saying? There's a big difference between lip service and, and, and true faith. This is what real faith does. Real faith takes those things that we've heard in church, those things that we know that God wants us to do, and we put them into action. A couple things I want to give us here. The great difference. So number one is this. What's the biggest difference? Is number one, something we've just got to realize, especially with dealing with young people. You know, we already have people in our culture, even in our church family, men, that struggle with some of this identity stuff. Something we've got to preach to our kids and something they've got to understand is this. God makes no mistakes. So important, y'all. 
And I've said it before, if God made you the way that you look and what, you know, the color of your hair. Somebody said, Well, you love Sarah when she's old and gray. I said, I've loved her through 20 other colors. <laughs> but our whole culture, our whole culture, if you were in my theology class the last eight weeks, you've already heard that joke like five times, but it's funny every time. But what does our whole culture scream so much? You've got to look a certain way. Now, I believe, and we're going to talk about this in stewarding life, we should take care of ourselves and all that type of thing. But listen, if God made you short, you're short. If God made you the way that you are, that's who you are. And this is the problem. We compare in those worlds. We teach our kids that they've got to look like this, they've got to do all this. And you know what, in their mind, it, what ends up happening if we're not careful? Man, I wonder if I'm a mistake. Man, I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not talented enough. This is why I believe, and I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, don't, if your kid's terrible at a sport, figure something they're good at. Don't force them to do something they hate that they're terrible at. Okay? I've seen moms, and I'm not, this is heartbreaking. I've seen moms try to live out their life through their daughters and through their kids in an area that their kid could care less about because that's what they did. Now, I thank God that my, my daughter, Caitlin, loves to hunt and fish and all that. I love that, and I thank God I forced her to do all of it and all that now, you know. But in all seriousness, man, I've seen people do it. Y'all have heard me use the American Idol illustration before. Y'all remember back in the day, you have these parents. Some kid gets up on there. They, their video goes viral, and we laughed at it, right? Fox is making millions, because we want to see those, they used to, because we want to see those first episodes, because some stinking parent lied to their kid, told them they were good at something they weren't good at. Now, your kid's good at something, hopefully. But y'all understand what I'm saying? We've got to be careful, because then this is what they think. God made me a mistake. I'm not as pretty. I'm not as athletic. I don't fit into that group. Man, we've got to be careful about that. So this is what the cultural says under this. This is what culture says under this. It's based on feeling. It in we understand that does not agree with the biblical or the biological. It is based on feeling and not facts. Now, the biblical scripture, it agrees with the biological. Replenish the earth and multiply. God makes no mistakes. And that's, we, we need to tell our kids, your kids are, listen, your kids, that's who God made them to be. And let me just say, maybe you're here and you struggle with self-worth. I talk to a lot of adults struggle with self-worth. Many times affairs and different things happen within a family because somebody's struggling with identity and self-worth because they don't feel accepted, they don't feel loved, they don't feel good enough, they don't feel pretty enough, they, whatever it is. Listen, God made you. You are not a mistake tonight. He gave you the intellect He wanted you to have. He gave you the gifts He wanted you to have. He made you who you want, He wanted you to be. You are a masterpiece of God's design. He don't make mistakes. And that's something, I mean, that, I think of our friend, you know, friends that are born maybe with some sort of mental thing or Down syndrome or something like that. That's not God's mistake. It's who God wanted that person to be. And let me just say this, it's beautiful. And we must embrace that. Part of the problem in our culture is we're always searching to be something that God didn't intend us to be. I mean, sometimes we can be that way. He didn't make a mistake when he made you. He created you. This is awesome in his image. Man, that's awesome to think about. Secondly, and we, I just want, this is segues into next week when we're really getting into the roles. God has a plan and purpose for marriage. We're going to get into this a whole lot more next week when we look at specific roles of men and women and children. And then those guys in the last three weeks are going to be very practical, okay? But we've got to set this foundation. Listen, y'all listen to me. Sex and marriage were created by God.
one of the issues, and our church isn't going to be this way, one of the issues is this. Kids, we grew up, if you grew up in church in the 80s and 90s, we grew up in what we call the purity culture. Purity is not a bad thing. We need to be pure. But we, most of us, myself included, grew up hearing that sex was bad. We heard sermons preach, sex is bad. Is sex bad? No! It's a gift from God inside the confines that He's created it in. Man, it's how we are created. It's how we are to function. Man, He's created us to enjoy a heterosexual, monogamous relationship. It's what He has intended. It's to be perfect. Listen, it's to be permanent for the purposes here of companionship. (coughs) What did God say to man? In the garden. It's not good to be what? It's not good to be alone. Man, and he says what? Replenish and multiply the earth. What was he saying? Part of your relationship is for procreation. And he says, and we won't get into all the theology of this. When he talk, when you when you go to your marriage altar, there's a bride and there's a what? There's a groom. Not all the time in the culture, but there is, there should be, biblically speaking, a bride and groom. Now, if you go to Ephesians 5, which we're gonna look at next week, guess what? Guess what we are called of Christ? The bride of Christ. And he's the bridegroom. I mean, marriage is a picture of redemption. And I want us to just think tonight as we go and as we continue to study the next few weeks, listen, be here. Invite someone out because we're either going to be influenced and led by what the world says or what culture says or what God says. And I've already mentioned this tonight. Many of us are still making our decisions based on feelings, what culture says. I mean, I want to encourage you to maybe stop and ask this question. Am I making my decisions based on truth, what God says? Since Genesis chapter number 3, Satan has been trying to get us to question what God says. Here it is. He's been trying to get us to feel a certain way. Remember when he came to Eve? You want to be like God, right? Man, you have all this, but there's just one thing you can't have. Today, what, what he's trying to say, this is what Satan's trying to say to you and your family. I know what God says, but is it really that big a deal? I know what God says, but shouldn't we love and accept everyone and everything? And we should accept everyone. We should love everyone. But don't we want people to be happy? Shouldn't we be tolerant? What are all of those based on? They're based on feelings. And as graciously and as kindly as I can say this, the Scripture says it this way. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. The way of culture goes directly against the way of God in every sense. Think with me, we're done. It goes against creative order. It goes against creative gender. It goes against God's creative plan for marriage and companionship. It goes against creative plan for replenishment. We must commit. We must decide. This ain't a gray area. We must decide to commit to what Scripture says. The Bible must be our final authority. So this is it. When it comes to family and when it comes to marriage... This book right here, church, has got to be what decides, listen, what we believe about it. Next week, I want to encourage you to be here. Roles, relationships, and rewards. How's a home supposed to function in God's eyes? What is the role of the man? What is the role of the woman? And what is the role of the children? Let's pray together tonight, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Lord, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that even... Lord, uh, this book that could seem so old sometimes. Lord, it's the most relevant book that's ever been written. Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, you'd help us to think. Lord, I pray that we've just got this settled in our hearts already. 
But Lord, as we move forward in this series, God, may we make our decisions in marriage and in our families and with our kids. Lord, may we make our decisions not based on how we feel, but God, what your word says. Lord, may as we continue to live and to stand for you in a, in a hard world, in an ever-changing world, Lord, may we stand for truth and love. Lord, we're going to be dealing with people that don't, Lord, every day of our lives that don't see things the same way that we do. Lord, may we show them grace and love. May we point them to you. Lord, I thank you for your redemptive work that you do in our lives. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you, you still have a plan and you still have a purpose and you're not done in this world. And Lord, I believe we can still raise some young people, God, that have a biblical worldview, that love you. Lord, I still believe that you can have people that have happy marriages that last a lifetime. I believe that, God. Lord, I pray just a prayer over those that are here tonight. Lord, those that are married, God, I pray that you would help them to stay faithful. You'd help them to stay together. Lord, I lift up our children tonight. Lord, that many of them are in the teen, the students tonight. Many of them are in a class tonight. Lord, being taught the word of God. Lord, I pray that you'd even put a hedge around them now. Lord, I pray that you'd put in their heart a desire to follow what your word says. God bless everything that's been said and done tonight. And we'll be careful to give you the, the glory, honor, and praise. In your precious and your holy name we pray. Amen. God bless.